welcome to series three of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear stories and experiences of incredible women from diverse backgrounds and perspectives in science and technology. Our conversation gives us insights into some fascinating innovations, but we also get to relate because here on Innovation, I give women a platform to be heard and seen because this exact conversation is in video format on YouTube. And honestly, every single episode is inspiring and uplifting because we hear about what these women have learned along their life's journeys, both personally and professionally. This week, I talked to Leanne Armitage, a medical doctor and co-founder of the Armitage Foundation. My name is Dr. Leanne Armitage. I'm currently working as a medical doctor in the intensive care department at Royal Sussex County Hospital in Brighton. Outside of working as a doctor, I co-founded a charity called the Armitage Foundation, which is a charity that's committed to increasing diversity across UK medical schools. And outside of the charity work that I do, I'm also very passionate about empowering people to be the best versions of themselves. And so I do that through public speaking. And I also recently uh, published my first book called The Power of a Dream which is a book designed to inspire you to realize your dreams and it gives you practical strategies to help you work towards achieving your dreams. Wow, Leanne, totally badass. You (laughs) are so incredible. You're a woman after my own heart because I think we are very aligned in what we're trying to do as doctors and women in STEM. Um, We're very different doctors. You're medical Uh, whereas I'm PhD, but I think what you're doing is so incredibly inspiring, like trying to encourage um, and support uh, diversity and inclusion in STEM. Um, Just as a sort of introduction for anyone who's watching, um, I learned of you, um, sadly, on the day that was the funeral of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, And I learned that you had won an award and my ears really pricked up because, you know, I I think what you're doing is so important. Um, So there's so much to discuss. So let's take one thing at a time. Um, What is the situation of diversity and inclusion within the medical field? Yeah, so it's a it's a very large issue. I'm focusing at the grassroots level, which is focused on trying to increase diversity at medical school with the idea being that by targeting medical students, you're obviously going to produce diverse doctors. And the reason why I'm focused on that is because after my second year of medical school, I remember reading an article by the British Medical Association called The Right Mix, which highlighted that across UK medical schools, less than 5% of the cohorts are coming from the most disadvantaged backgrounds. And across the UK, half of the schools do not produce a single medical applicant. So medicine is still very much a profession that is kind of reserved for the privileged or for people who are coming from certain types of backgrounds and I fundamentally think that's wrong because the world's best oncologists could be in an area where they're not having equal opportunities or equal access to uh, medical school and just because of that we're missing out on that huge talent gap and I naturally have a bit of a social activist spirit so I was thinking well you know I want to do something to make a difference especially because I come from a non-traditional background and so I felt like I had insight into many of the challenges and the barriers that these young people were facing that were stopping them from realizing their dreams of becoming doctors and so initially I I set up a medical outreach program which eventually evolved into a charity and as I've continued to do this work I've realized that the issue is so much larger than just medical schools there are 
issues in training doctors from certain ethnic minorities and certain social or less privileged backgrounds, they're not advancing at the same rate or in the same way that their wealthier counterparts are. And, you know, the, the issue kind of runs from a grassroots level all the way to the leadership level and the board level. And fundamentally, ultimately, the NHS is there to serve society. It's there to provide the most effective health care. And if its whole institution is not being made up of people from diverse backgrounds, that is going to have impact on patients and in the worst case scenario it can cause deaths and you know there are so many different things that we could talk about which kind of highlight these problems and these issues. Yeah I mean you were acknowledged by the Queen which was why you were speaking on the BBC that day when billions of us were watching um, that day and um, tell me about that. Mm, yeah so it was I always find it hard I think every encounter that I've had that's been linked to the queen or related to the queen is very difficult to put it into words because it invokes so many different emotions but I think on that day in particular you know it just felt so special to it felt so special to be a part of something that was so big and in recognition of Her Majesty the Queen, who, you know, so many people testify as a woman that really gave her life to service. And for me, I, I just felt so inspired as I kind of reflected on, on all that she is and all that she's done. And it made me feel more inspired to really use my life to do the best that I can do to impact other people's lives. Because, you know, whenever we think about death or we think about funerals or people passing it's a moment to really reflect on legacy and what impact did they have on the world what mark the date did they leave and so for me um it really was just yeah it was a really a real moment of reflection where I really thought about what is the legacy that I want to leave and how can I really capitalize on the opportunities that I've had and the experiences that I've had to really make a difference and really make a change yeah I mean her late majesty was um such an incredible remarkable amazing woman um but she was acknowledging you with mm. that award so tell yeah. us about um the award and what was she, what she was acknowledging yeah so in 2018 I was awarded the UK Queen Jean Leaders Award uh, this was a special award which only um was given out from 2014 to 2018 and it was given to two young leaders from across the commonwealth countries and so they would fly everybody in from the different countries and you'd all gather together and there was a like about a week's leadership program preceding the award and the award was in recognition of work that we had been doing to better our community so I was receiving it in recognition of my charity work and that moment again it was just it was just amazing and I remember on the day of the ceremony, there were about 60 of us in total, and we all were going up, of course, one by one to receive our awards. And I was towards the end of the queue. So I was thinking, surely by the time she gets to me, she's going to be tired because she would interact with every person who was receiving an award. Um, and, and when it was my turn, she actually interacted with me. She spoke to me. She said, you were the girl in the video because they played a video before the ceremony, which kind of highlighted some of our work and I just remember be saying oh my god like you recognize me <laughs> and then she asked me a bit about what I was doing and encouraged me to continue so it was an incredible experience and what also was so amazing is just connecting with so many other young leaders who may be working in very different fields to you and have very different passions but you're all united by this desire to see an injustice see something that you believe is wrong and do something to make a difference and 
I think that as well is what made it such a powerful experience, just being surrounded by that kind of energy. So amazing. Um, the idea that, you know, you had that interaction is incredible. Um, you started this charity and, and doing this work, I'm assuming because of very personal reasons and kind of empathy. Yeah. So can you describe, you know, what your experiences have been? Yeah, of course. So um, I decided specifically, I decided that I wanted to be a trauma surgeon when I was 15 years old. And that's because I grew up in Southeast London in Peckham, where at the time it was not uncommon to sadly hear of young men losing their lives because of gunshot wounds or stab wounds. And every time I'd hear about this, I'd always feel a a sense of grief as I'd be thinking, oh my God, you know, another life that has been lost, another potential that has been aborted. And as I said, I always would feel this kind of unrest, but there was one particular incident that really changed my life. I was coming home one day with my sister and I, I absolutely love helicopters. <laughs> I just love helicopters. So um, there was a helicopter that was landing and um, obviously it was making a lot of noise, the propellers as they were going through the wind and it was um, making its descent towards this huge grass field in the middle of a, a big estate close to where I was living at the time. And I asked my sister if we could go over to watch it land because I love helicopters and she agreed. And so we, we walked over to the scene and when we arrived, I remember seeing a, a crowd of people gathered around and everybody was just standing there staring. And I immediately knew something wasn't right because their facial expressions did not match the excitement that I had. And so I turned to the closest person in the crowd who was a lady and I asked her, why is everybody gathered? What's happened? And her response strained all excitement from me. as She told me that a young man had been stabbed. And in that moment, I just remember feeling such a profound sense of grief as I realized that, oh, my God, you know, this helicopter hasn't landed for any good reason at all, but rather because a young man has lost his life. And then I remember feeling a deep sense of um, anger as I looked around thinking everybody's just standing here staring, but who's actually going to do something to make a difference? And then I remember feeling quite disempowered as I thought, well, what can I do? I'm just a 15 year old girl. So that evening I went home with a very heavy heart and I just went straight to my room where I sat down and I meditated and I prayed and I asked God, what can I do to make a difference? And then the idea came to me that if I aspire to become a trauma surgeon, that would give me a platform to go into environments where young men are involved in knife and gun crime in the hope of inspiring them to be and to do better. However, I was coming from a very underrepresented and, and disadvantaged background in that there were no medics in my family out of my four siblings only one went to university my mother left secondary school with no GCSEs and had no idea how to navigate the higher education system there was no one in my social network who was a doctor and so there wasn't really anybody that could guide me and so I literally just did a google search I realized the first thing I needed to do was get really good GCSEs I set myself the goal of achieving 10 A stars and, and I did achieve that to my surprise and then to cut a longer story short I got kind of like a scholarship to go to boarding school for sixth form got rejected actually when I first applied to medical school which was what? Yes. I felt so heartbroken I said oh my god what am I going to do with my life um, but then I took a gap here and reapplied and, and I got three medical offers and decided to study at St George's and then um after the second year of, of medical school, as I said, realized that, oh my God, there's this massive lack of diversity. And because I knew that I, I had received so much support along my journey, 
and that I had mentors, I had scholarships and all of these kind of things. And yet I still found it challenging. And so I was thinking like, how, how on earth would it be for somebody who hasn't had as much support as me? Um, and it just really just made me feel so moved to do something to, um, to make a difference. So that's kind of the background to everything. Gosh. And, and now what kind of impact is your charity having? Yeah. So my charity has definitely come a long way since we started and, and the work or the Queen's Young Leaders Award definitely helped to kind of amplify our work, which has been amazing with them. Um, at the moment, we're partnered with two universities in London and a hospital in Kent, which is the previous hospital that I was working at. And we're working with schools that are in those areas. We're also um, forming collaborations, hopefully with two other universities this year, which are outside of London. So um, we should be expanding nationwide and um, we've kind of evolved in also the programs that we're delivering. We believe in a long term continuous intervention. So we believe in starting early with year eight to nine students. So they're about 11 and 12 and then working all the way up until sixth form when they're about to apply to medical school. So that's the kind of model that we're building and um at the moment, we're delivering two of two of our programs, which are the first two stages in that model, because it's a three tier program. And um, yeah, we've, we've been impacting young people. They've been testifying of how the program's been impacting them because it takes probably about five or six years for the students to actually start applying. We haven't um, yet had testimonies of students getting into medical school just because of the nature of our program it will take long for that but definitely students have testified of how it's increased their confidence of how you know the newfound motivation they have they've seen a transformation in their grades and above all I, I always tell the students this when I speak to them even if you decide that you don't want to become a doctor I want every young person who encounters our programs to have a firm confidence that they can achieve whatever it is that they desire to do in the future um because ultimately that is that is what transforms a young person when they have that firm belief that I can be I can achieve I can do and so that is really what what we're about as well yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, this YouTube video is also um, a podcast in an audio version and it's called Innovation. And, um, you know, I, I call it that because it's not just about learning the technical side, which um, students often are put off by, you know, they think, well, I'm not great at the sciences or maths, so I'm not going to go into a technical career. But so much of it is about confidence and self-belief and all of those things. And it sounds like your charity really focuses in on that. Yeah. Um, what are you doing that is really unique in terms of, I don't know, like activities? I mean, what is your focus on creating that inner sense of strength yeah so um in terms of kind of cultivating a young person's confidence and, and self-belief and resilience that inherently is not something that you can do in a day or a week it's a process of time and I think most people can testify to that that the confidence you might have now compared to when you were say 11 or 16 is totally different it kind of evolves as you develop as an individual um but I do believe in the power of planting seeds and so like to give you an example at the beginning of our programs we always have a quote where we'll spend about five to ten minutes of the students reading that quote for example 
there's a quote by Brian Tracy, which paraphrasing says that it doesn't matter where you start at life. It's like where you're going to. And so we'll ask the students, what, what do you think this means? And, and what does this mean to you? And how can you apply that just to start to kind of get them to think in that mindset? So it's things like that. And also, you know, just allowing them to be in environments where they are around medical students. So the vision feels kind of more attainable because often if you have, say, a consultant trauma surgeon or a, a lead professor coming into a school to talk to a student, they often feel like there's no real connection. And so they think, well, how on earth can I relate? How could I be that? There's no it doesn't feel tangible. Whereas when you have a, a peer to peer mentoring kind of model where you've got younger people coming in and speaking to these, these students, it really makes the goal seem so attainable and seem a lot more real. So those are some of the ways that we, that we work on kind of cultivating their confidence and their self-belief. It's so incredible. And I'm so glad that you are actually doing something about this because it's an area of personal growth they can actually go under the radar. Yeah. It's shocking. Yeah. Um, in an attempt to shrink a void that we may be creating, um, and that void comes out of this concept of them and us, um, is there a difference in the way people from underrepresented groups learn um, versus the majority or, you know, is, is there a difference between the underrepresented and the represented is I think what I'm asking. I think there are so many angles that you could answer that question from. So some of the things I guess we could discuss is in independent schools or private schools, often the classrooms tend to be smaller. So there's more it's a more intimate environment there it's easier for them to reach out to their teachers or for their teachers to to have a more in-depth understanding of where every student is at and what areas a student needs to focus on to to kind of further develop and in state schools the 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 students tend to be in larger groups and in addition to that in many state schools this career advisors don't have much insight perhaps into certain careers and so the knowledge that they can give that student only goes so far um in certain schools it's a lot harder to get work experience if you're say at a private school where there are so many other students whose family members are doctors they could just ask their uncle to help get you some work experience and so that is a much easier way to put your foot in the door and me medical work experience is so important and especially when I was applying if you didn't have medical work experience some universities wouldn't even consider your application and in addition to that I think that often people will say and I did have this experience that in some institutions, the way they're teaching you to learn is they're just teaching you to pass an exam as opposed to teaching you to think critically or to kind of analyze things in a certain way. And um, that is also an important skill. They're also sometimes in state schools isn't as much focus on really cultivating those soft skills. Many students who come from private school backgrounds will often just have this kind of air of confidence around them and I guess that is partly linked to their upbringing or seeing successful people around them and believing that their goals are attainable because they've got uncles who are doing amazing things so I think it's a multifactorial issue and there are so many dimensions and elements um, but definitely I think that students who are coming from an underrepresented background 
are lagging behind in many of these areas, which especially for a profession like medicine can be a huge disadvantage because academics is not enough. If you can't communicate effectively in interview, if you can't demonstrate how you can, you know, really explore an ethical scenario and think from different perspectives and show all of these other skills, these leadership skills, these transferable skills, and that is going to disadvantage you in the application process. And then there are also issues with, say, maybe the interviewers having their own subconscious, unconscious biases and all of these other elements which play a role. So, um, yes, the issue is huge, but definitely schooling has a has an impact for sure. Yeah, I mean, as you're describing all those things, you're actually really bringing up a lot of past experiences of mine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things I felt growing up and then studying was, oh, my gosh, I don't have a network. Mm. You know, my parents are immigrants. Um, they don't know people. Yes, my dad's in engineering, but he really struggled to make it in that industry. He doesn't yeah. have this like solid network of people yeah. who will help me get work experience or internships or yeah. my first job and things like that. And um <clears throat> I think um, this sense of feeling other than mm. um, really held me back when I was going through the process. And now that I'm older and more experienced, I really do see that it was actually me that held me back because no one was asking me to think like this. It was just something that I took upon myself. Absolutely. If you can address that and, you know, even through this conversation, I hope that we're highlighting that, you know, confidence doesn't come from the family you were born into. Um, it really does come from within, you know, how we see ourselves. And I hope that conversations like this and networks that exist out there can say, you don't need to come from anywhere. You know, people just want to see what you're capable of, um, how passionate you are about excelling and succeeding and, and the hard work you've put in, um, which then actually leads me to the question, why would someone with 10 A stars be rejected from anywhere? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you do actually sometimes hear these stories of a student got all A stars in their A levels and still got rejected from medical school. I think for me, um, the issue that I had on first applying is that I didn't get invited for any interviews. And I knew that I, I knew that if I, or I had a strong conviction that if I had interviews, I'd get in because I'd be able to share my passion. But I never had that opportunity. And I think the reason for that is, um, as well as having good grades, you have to do admissions exams. And I didn't score very highly on some of the admissions tests. And they're often kind of these IQ type tests, which again, if you're sometimes students who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds will find those a lot more challenging than, than, than students coming from wealthier backgrounds who might have been trained in a different way. And so I, I, I did find those tests really challenging and I didn't score high enough because many universities had cutoff scores where if you don't make, make that score or if they're kind of sifting through different applications because there are so many they will just use different cutoff points to say no we won't interview them or we will and so I think that was the main barrier because on my gap year I focused a lot on um you know really kind of training myself in in these admissions tests and I, I did score higher um the second time round and, and I did get invitations to three different universities for interviews and I got offers from each of those universities and um, so I think for me it was definitely linked to the um the admissions exam. 
Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, because, you know, we're putting so much time and effort into things that maybe other students kind of don't have to think about. Mm. Um, or, you know, it may come more easily to them. I mean, having done this podcast for a long, long time, like, you know, years, um, what I hear time and time again from people's stories is the importance of um, generation, you know. So um, I often hear women who appear to have it all talking about how their mums were really striving to have certain things that their mothers didn't have. And um, without the risk of like sounding like I'm contradicting myself, I do feel like there's a lot to learn all the time. And if you come from a generation that has been doing some of the learning of certain things, I don't know, it's, I, I see it a bit like a track where, you know, you've got kind of head starts in some areas and not in others. And, and so well done you basically for taking that gap year mm. as an opportunity to learn what you needed to learn. And I don't know what you were like in that year, but it feels like you got on with accepting that there are certain things that you just have to catch up on and you just got on with it and now you've got what you want I think for me it was it was extremely challenging in that it was the first time in my life when I had really been told no um because growing up I had lots of older brothers and sisters and they would often spoil me and so I I didn't really deal with much rejection in that I kind of things kind of just flowed quite easily for me. But this was the first time when my specific plan and my specific strategy wasn't working. And there was absolutely nothing I could do in that there was no guarantee. I could put all of the work in, I could apply to all of these institutions, but unless they opened the door, what could I do? And, and for me, it was very challenging. I remember feeling lots of different emotions. I felt quite low at one point because I remember just, I think when you're young, sometimes your your view and perception of the world can seem so small in that I, I literally just felt like my whole life was all about getting into medical school. So now that this dream was kind of put on halt, I just was thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, but actually in retrospect, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because you realize as you go through life that character development is of fundamental importance because even when you reach that kind of goal or aspiration you have it's your character that you need to sustain you whilst you're there and being able to deal with setbacks being able to deal with rejections being able to deal with those moments when you're confused and you've put your all into something and it's not panning out how you thought it would be that really is the test of true character and most successful people will testify that if I showed you a CV of my rejections it would far outweigh the CV of all of my successes and actually Actually, it's, it's many of those rejections that help you to be even better in the future. So it was um, it was a challenging year, but it, it, it was great at the same time. And I, I definitely made full use of it. I, I gained a lot of different experience during that time. And I think that I went into the I went to medical school with a different mindset, which has allowed me to be better as a doctor because even during that gap year I remember I volunteered at an organization called Doctors of the World in one of their clinics in East London 
And as part of that role, I was a support worker who was helping to um, get vulnerable people registered the GP, such as undocumented migrants, asylum seekers, um, people involved in sex trafficking. And that was the first time in my life that I realized that, oh, my God, there are a load of people who don't have access to healthcare, And some of these people have illnesses and conditions that are far progressed. But because they don't have access to free healthcare, they're scared or they're worried about their immigration status and all of these kind of things. And it was really an eye opener. And it just it just kind of transformed my view of the NHS, of the world, of people. And it showed me you know, how privileged I was as a, as a citizen of the UK and how much things I had access to. And it also kind of showed me how, how I need to exercise compassion as a doctor, because you really don't know what struggles people are going through. And yeah, it really made me a lot more well-rounded as an individual, I, I'd say. It is incredible how setbacks can mm. really mature us. Yeah. And I think it's important to highlight here that as you've done, um, if there's like a setback, it's actually an opportunity to learn a whole load of things that we didn't even know we had to learn. Because I think sometimes there can be um, a kind of channeling of energy into, I can't believe this has happened to me. Like, you know, I've got a string of A stars. Um, I can't, like, this isn't how it's meant to be. But instead you had the attitude of, all right, what is it that I need to focus on? And um, I think that's been one of my greatest lessons is that I really don't want to waste any more time in kind of the injustice of my plan not panning out. It's like, okay, um, this is not, you know, this is a setback. How can I come out of this winning kind of attitude? And that's, I think... um, what you are conveying and I think it's really really essential it's very it's very evolved it's very mature so (laughs) I think that's a really key message that I hope people can take away from this conversation um so you know you're you sound incredibly busy how are you managing to juggle the charity with your work as a doctor yeah um it, it can be challenging for sure. I think being in partnership with the right people is of paramount importance because you know you could have a team of three extremely efficient people and you could go far further than having a team of 10 people who are half-hearted and one of the things that I'm so blessed by is to just be surrounded by so many amazing people who have the right heart and the right attitude towards something and they're just as passionate as I am and so there's no way that I could act like it was all me I think a lot of it is because I've got such an amazing team especially with the charity um one of our staff, key staff members, Adila, she's just incredible. And she, she, she's very similar to me and my co-founder, um, Daniel, who is the person that I set the charity with. We're, we're both very busy. And Adila, she has like a real profound insight into how both of us work, how our schedules function. She thinks like us, so we, we trust her a lot. And that's another thing I would say, you know, when you're in positions of leadership, you've got to delegate because there's no way you can do everything alone. And you have to be able to delegate to people that you can trust, you know, and, and we can really trust Adila. And that's just incredible being able to, to have that trust because it means that, you know, that person can go off and do things without you needing to worry. And 
and and so you kind of have to learn to to let go and to to surrender things to others which can be really challenging especially say with the charity because because it's so personal it feels almost like it's your child <laughs> so handing that responsibility or aspects of that responsibility over to people can be very challenging but it's something that you have to kind of learn to do i think also people would probably say that i'm quite um good at time management and being quite organized um i think also i have the fundamental mindset that i don't want to get involved in anything that i'm not passionate about i think when you're passionate about the things that you're doing it fuels you it gives you that excitement and that vim and so you're ready to keep going and so I, i only like to get involved in the things that i really care about and so i ask myself before i commit to anything you know why am i doing this and it's very important that you learn the difference between what is good and what is right because along your journey you'll get many propositions for things that sound really good but they're not actually right for you and the more you can learn to channel your energy into the things that are right the easier that you can be a lot more effective and those things often tend to kind of flow a lot more organically so i try to focus on that and i'd say as well for me it's my my faith in god really kind of having that that relationship with god where i can get renewed strength and be empowered especially when i feel discouraged or when i feel like i just don't have the strength to do this being able to kind of refocus on my priorities and what's important and the kind of overall vision that I have for life and trusting that God is strengthening me to do all that I'm doing that that really helps me as well mm, having the power um having a power that's kind of much much bigger than yourself kind of guiding you absolutely um, it's definitely a message that um i think queen elizabeth conveyed yeah And that's also why I found her so inspiring because it's funny because I find that often when people pass away, that's when you kind of learn even more about them. Mm. Um, And just listening to so many people testify, especially about her faith and how personal it was to her and just the relationship that she had with God and the trust that she had and just her humility and her servant spirit. I just... I just find it so beautiful and it really inspires and empowers me, especially that she was a woman as well. I just, yeah, I just find that incredible. And yes, I I was able to relate to that. And that really encouraged me. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we're going slightly off topic, but one of the things that um, I really got from watching the crown, you know, people have all kinds of um, opinions about that series, but what I really took away from it was this idea that she she had the ultimate authority on um, decisions. And so there was no one above her to ask other than, you know, um, senior people in the church. And that just kind of really made me stop and think that, you know, often in STEM or other industries, we talk about mentorship and asking advice and always reaching out for help. And I think women in STEM in particular, we're so capable and so intelligent that often asking others for help can be difficult. But when you've got someone like the queen who kind of didn't have anyone to turn to, it it really is remarkable that you know she, she had to draw on some other strength absolutely um so yeah um i think you know in closing the message that i have heard from you today is that if you have a passion and an interest in something 
follow it. However crazy, wild, you know, your dreams and ambitions may be, it's all reachable if you focus and invest in yourself realizing those dreams and ambitions. Um, I really feel like I've got so much from everything you've said that all points to that. But can you offer any advice um, to underrepresented people out there that includes women in STEM, um, people from ethnic backgrounds who are thinking, I just, I just don't think I can do this. You know, it's just beyond me. Like, what would you say to them that you haven't said already? I think I'd encourage. So if a person did say that to me, my, my initial thought would be that this person needs to really work on their mindset because whatever you believe becomes true for you. And, and this is why with my charity in particular, I really wanted to focus on there being some element that empowers these students and sows positive seeds in their mind, seeds of self-confidence and seeds of self-belief. Because if you're going at, say, an interview or you're going at an application for something, can you already having the mindset that I'm not going to get this or I can't do this, that affects your presentation, it affects your energy, it affects so much and all of those things negatively impact you to the extent that it can almost become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I don't say that to discourage people, but I say that because you have to be able to identify what your weaknesses are so that you can start working on them to allow that to become a strength. And so if you recognize that you have got limiting beliefs about yourself and about your potential, and about your ability, you've got to take the time to invest in really digging a little bit deeper and asking yourself, why do I believe this? What is that thought actually attached to? You know, why do I believe I'm not intelligent enough or I cannot do enough? Because Many successful people will tell you that, you know, hard work trumps talent in the sense that even if you're naturally gifted, it's actually the hours that you put in. It's your commitment. It's your consistency. And I can definitely testify to that because I'm not the most intelligent person on the earth by any means at all. Even in medical school, the way I was learning, I was struggling in lectures. I'd be like, oh, my God, I hope they don't ask me any questions after because I don't even know what they've said. I'd find it very difficult to focus and to really assimilate the information. And it wasn't because I I wasn't intelligent it was just because I learned in a different way and my process of revising just took so long and it took forever and other people would think oh my god like that's so much work she's having to put in but when I learned the material I learned it in such depth that you know it, I retained that information so especially in the first two years I was um I, I was scoring at the top 10% of my year until I started setting up charities and doing a load of other things. But I say this to say that your determination and your belief that you can achieve something and you can do something irrespective of the setbacks or the different things that you're thinking may hold you back is really what will allow you to keep pushing forward. And you have to, you have to have that determination. You have to have that resilience. And that's something that you can build and you can develop even if you don't have it right now. And I think what will allow you to be able to do that is by ultimately having a strong why my ability to keep driving and driving and driving is that every time I was dealt a setback, I'd think, hold up, this vision is not just about me. It's about the young men that are dying in my community. You know, it's so much bigger than me just wanting to be a doctor so that I can have a good life and, you know, be respected in society. So I think I'd say number one, to kind of paraphrase, because I've spoken for a while, number one, really go to work on 
identifying the limiting beliefs that you have about yourself and, and working on those so that you can empower yourself because there's no reason why you cannot be what you desire in your heart. So that's the first thing that I'd say. And the second thing that I'd say, I'm so sorry, I was on a roll, Shinny, and then I forgot my second point. <laughs> it will come back. <laughs> I'll say that. It, it will definitely come back to me. Well, can I just say at this juncture that um, one of the strongest things that has come out of chatting with you today is that you are someone who really accepts her story. Mm. And um, it just struck me when you were um, talking just now that um, you are just very accepting of where you've come from what it is that you feel is your mission and you don't feel bad about your roots. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If that's the one thing that people take away from this conversation, that is so powerful because I feel like so much of my youth or my earlier years was spent trying to be someone I'm not and then being really ashamed that I'm not like that. Yeah. Whereas I don't get that sense from you. I did go through that and I had to, I had to, I, I experienced that and I had to overcome that and process that and navigate through that so that I could be completely at peace with my roots and my story. It was not easy. It was a challenge. And I think this is the thing about life, like lots of people just talk about all the good things, but they don't spend enough time really focusing on the gap between your starting point and your end point or your mountaintop, because that is a journey. And that journey often involves a lot of a lot of challenge, a lot of emotional pain as you're processing things and understanding things. And, you know, that journey can be very difficult. But when you put in the work to go through that journey, which is why I spoke about really identifying limiting beliefs and the root of those things, when you deal at the issue from the root, that's when you really transform your entire life because it's not a superficial fake thing that you're trying to put on. It's authentic and it's real to you because it's coming from a deeper place. So that was a journey that I needed to go on because, yes, I used to feel quite embarrassed especially because we live in a society where people judge you based on you know your socioeconomic status your background how you dress how you speak all of these different factors and I was going into environments where people were from completely different backgrounds to me and so I often sometimes felt like an alien or the odd one out or oh my god but then I began to realize that actually we're all just humans and nobody decides which family they're born into. Nobody decides the circumstances that they have. But what you can decide is whether you're going to accept that or you're going to create the life that you want for yourself. And when I began to realize these things and be empowered by these things and also realize the gifts and the talents that God had given me for a reason and focused on cultivating those things and cultivating and developing the factors that were in my control, that is when my life started to change. You've got me really, really thinking. Um, I've kind of got goosebumps because um, so much of what you talk about is about being not only open, but accepting um, and proud of um, where we come from, not as a victim, yeah, you know, it's hard times, but as 
as someone who takes those disadvantages and uses them to climb higher like you know the disadvantages are rocket fuel to pull yeah. yourself forward and actually they're, they're so important for for my my leadership roles because they allow me to relate to people in such a more deeper and profound way they they allow me to really believe in the virtues of you know having humility and being compassionate and being non-judgmental and loving people for people I think because of because of my all of the different experience I've had and all of the different people that I've been around and all of the lived experience I have it it makes me so much more wholesome as an individual so sometimes when you're going through the different challenges it's hard to see how they're developing you in that way but when I look back I'm like wow I thank God that I come from the background that I come from because if I didn't I wouldn't even be passionate about the things I'd be passionate about I wouldn't care about certain issues and I wouldn't be able to relate to people people wouldn't want to listen because they would feel so disconnected but actually some of our greatest challenges is what connect us to other people and just make us more human and so I think there's no shame in really embracing, you know, your differences or your challenges or your so-called setbacks. Um, Cause actually sometimes they're the things that, that are your superpower. Gosh, Leanne, it has been so amazing talking to you. Thank you. I'm kind of um, gobsmacked at what we've talked about today, particularly in the context of the queen Mm. Um, because you know when you talk about sort of being born into a family and humility and looking to a power greater than all of us you know it's it's really really powerful stuff I feel like we have discussed so much but yet you've kind of opened up in my own mind um, some really profound stuff um, it's just been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much because I feel like not only have you benefited students and people starting out on their career journey, but you've also given me, who's a bit further on down the line in her career and age, um, so much to reflect on. It's going to sit with me for a while. So thank you for everything you're doing. Keep up the amazing work and you're utterly inspiring. And um, I'm so glad that we connected. Thank you. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews then the more interest from those trusty algorithms which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery, self-evolution and inclusivity on innovation. Let's all strive to be in the best versions of ourselves and celebrate others being themselves too. As always, be kind and loving, and I wish you all a great week.